you know, we were super excited to be here and all this stuff. And all of a sudden I'm jobless. And I was like, uh, <laughs> so I came out, uh, you know, it was like nine, nine o'clock, nine 30 in the morning. And I said, Hey, I just got laid off. I, you know, and I, I was sort of at a loss. I didn't know what to do. And she goes, go surf. She goes, go surf. When you come back, you'll know what to do. Hey, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. So I held my promise and today I started the updated draft of the book. So for anybody keeping score, I made it. I sliced my finger open on Saturday. Oh no, let's let's back this up. Friday afternoon, huge windstorm, bam, power goes out. <laughs> and I had not charge my computer up. So I was sitting in the house with the lights going down. My wife was working on something at the couch and I'm just watching the power go down on my computer, trying to get things done in preparation for today. And then Saturday, we went out there to do window cleaning and I sliced the tip of my index finger. But I'm like, (laughs) everything is fighting me to get this done. But anyway, I uh, started this morning using this revision guide. I'll see how effective it is in the long run, but I really enjoyed the process of putting it together. I learned a lot more about my, I learned a lot more about my novel and my characters. Now the goal is to get this all done by early May which is a huge order because it's a huge book. So I'm uh, cautiously optimistic. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Um, Yeah, just lots. Oh, and I didn't mention this week's guest. It's Mark Irwin. Mark is the man. (laughs) I've known of Mark forever. I think he got into the comic business a couple of years after I did. And it turned out he actually hired me for a card for image. And he actually remembered the uh, the ridiculous card I drew. So that was pretty funny. We didn't talk about that. We talked about a million other things like surfing, a little more surfing, music, and just tons of amazing stories of his journey from the Pacific Ocean to the Kubert School to heavy metal image and now on to mad cave he's really seen so much and is an amazing guy so i hope you enjoy this talk as much as i did i know i'm i'm at a place now where i actually appreciate being able to get more than i don't know three or four hours of sleep you know (laughs) i don't get much not but but still you know (laughs) it makes me think of how many times you do this, you know, there's the, I'll never drink again thing, but it's also the, I'll never do an all nighter again. Yeah. Yeah. I've said that before and then it ended up not being true. So. Yeah. I I've, I've stopped saying it just for the fact that I don't want to have to do another one. Oh yeah. No, I I don't ever want to do them again, but uh, sure enough, I started a different thing that caused me to have, repeated all-nighters uh for like Mm. three weeks in a row you know um so sometimes you just (laughs) it's unavoidable in our in our field 
Yeah, I, the, the what we have to, what we take on knowingly or unknowingly in the creative world is so is so treacherous to our own health and sanity in so many ways. Very much so. Yeah. I I, but you know, I've done the thing in the offices. I've, you know, I've done, I just go, boy, I just don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I think, I think for me, uh, what, where I kind of fell with all of that is that, you know, I, I wasn't really good at much. Um, you know, like I knew I was good at, like I learned inking, I became better at it over time. I wasn't even that good when I broke in, but, um, you know, it took me a number of years to feel like I, I don't want to say mastered it, but got to a competency level that I was more comfortable with. Um, Mm -hmm. but all during that time, all during all 30 years that I was inking, um, I always had a day job. And, uh, the reason I did that was because I was scared, you know, I, I had kids, um, I had a mortgage. Uh, I was worried about, you know, not like losing my house, you know, not being right. able to feed my kids, all those kinds of things, uh, or health insurance, you know, 401k, you think about all that kind of stuff. And for me, it was just like, well, I guess I got to do both. Um, cause mm-hmm. I, I gotta, I gotta scratch that itch. But by the same token, I, I also have all these responsibilities that I can't shirk, you know? So what was it for you, like, what was the thing that you recognized early in yourself that made you say, I want to scratch that itch versus being just a passive enjoyer of whatever the thing you dug? Um, you know, I think a lot of it was just, uh, you know, typical, um, you know, I had a bad home life. Um comics at the time were probably more of an escape for me, but I drew, you know, I, I was like the guy in high school that drew on his math homework and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, um, when I got out of high school, um, I just, I needed a job. I want, you know, I moved out, uh, I moved out of my parents' home fairly early. I think I was like, I just turned 17. Mm. Um, Mainly, it was a bad situation, so I just had to get out. Moved in with a buddy of mine, had to have a job, you know, pay for rent, and um, you know, just started working. and And I, I had always worked. I uh, I worked for my stepfather. I always had odd jobs and kind of did a little bit of everything. But uh, when I moved out, I got into construction and landscaping and all that kind of stuff. And um, right, basically, you know, I did you know, toiled away at that for a couple of years. And then I met this girl who, you know, was like, you know, she, she saw that there was potential and that I had ambition, but my ambition was completely aimless. You know, like I had no real plan. Um, you know, I, right when I got out of high school, I also tried, uh, tried to be a professional surfer. I surfed on the amateur circuit here in Southern California for about two and a half years mm-hmm. and was never good enough. I mean, you know, just, I, I, uh, these guys just would blow me out of the water. And so I was like, okay, that's not what I'm going to be. What am I going to be? And, um, 
you know, she, she was like, well, you do like to draw. And um, I had done a portfolio review and been accepted to the Kubert school um, mm. uh, while I was still in high school. Um, but my parents didn't want me to go to an art school and kind of shut the whole thing down. So she, you know, she was like, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to be. And the more I thought about it, I was like, well, maybe, maybe there's a chance here. So, you know, kind of reached out to them again, um, was immediately reaccepted and uh, reached out to an uncle of mine to co-sign for student loans. Um, okay. And, you know, they ended up going to the school and, and it, it, you know, it, it was hard as hell. Um, you know, my first year of school, I worked full time stocking shelves in a grocery store just to pay my rent and my tuition and for my supplies and everything. And it, it was a nightmare. I mean, I was so tired. I barely survived the first year at the Cubers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she had to come, she had to come back East right near the end of the school year to convince me not to quit. And, uh, I stuck with it and the second year got better and I started getting work. Um, you know, one thing led to another, and pretty soon I was only doing art for a living rather mm -hmm. than having all of these side things, you know, because um, up yeah. to that point, even back there, I was digging ditches for swimming pools, working in, you know, grocery stores, um, all sorts of stupid stuff. So, uh, I mean, you ha the thing is, we have to do whatever it is we have to do to fund this dream of whatever we want to do. Um, so you know, we're not spring chicken. So what year were you go? What year did you go off to the Kubert school? I went in 1992. Uh, okay. And uh, graduated in 95. All right, right on. So yeah, I, I, I graduated from SVA in 91. So we're just right. We're, you know, you were that you were there when I was sort of kicking around in New York trying to, you know, get my air quote career going. Uh, so yeah, that's so I Eric Shanauer went to Cuber School, but you know, probably like a decade before I guess yeah. you went. Um and uh but the the one thing I did I've picked up on the people who went to Cuber, there was a very strong ethic of go get work. Yeah, I think I think there was certainly some of that. I also think um, you know, Cubert I I think in some ways, you know, probably the, the curriculum at, say, SBA or Pratt or maybe even SCAD, um, you know, had was perhaps a little more sophisticated and, and probably a better, you know, initial curriculum. But um, what the Cubert School was, was sort of like you had to figure out for yourself what to do with it. Um, so there was a lot of kids that went, I mean, I know my graduating class, like we always joke, like our graduating class was like the worst in the history of school. We always <laughs> laugh about that, um, you know, because so many of us weren't, we didn't get anything out of it. You know, like we weren't, we either weren't driven enough or we weren't, we didn't feel like, um, you know, we got any help or whatever to move on. But... <sighs> There were a few of us um, that basically took everything we could um, from every teacher available, um, every pro that happened to bounce through Dover, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you 
pick their brains. Um, you know, for me, I, I had come home after my first year, I came home for the summer, um, working odd jobs along the summer and went to the, uh, went to Comic-Con and met an inker at Comic-Con from New Jersey who thought my lettering samples were halfway decent. Hmm. Uh, he, my inking samples were terrible, but he said, you know, Hey, I can train you up if you want to do backgrounds for me. And when I came back to the school, uh, for my second year, I started working with him. Um, he got me my very first, uh, paying work, um, which was a lettering job. Um, and, uh, kind of, I did a couple of lettering jobs all while doing backgrounds for him. And what he would do is I'd do these pages and I'd send them back to him. And then he'd send me new pages, but he'd send me Xeroxes of the old pages with oh. red, red pencil showing me all the mistakes I made. Um, and huh. those initial pages were basically red. And uh, so, you know, it was a quick learning experience. Um, he was, he was great and uh, patient with me. And then, over time, he kind of reached out to other inkers that were also in that same local area. And I started getting pages from those guys. And every guy was different. You know, some guys would be like, all you do is fill in the blacks. You touch anything else on this page, you'll never work again, you know. And then other guys were like, I don't care what you do. Just bring me back to page finished. I don't care. And right. Yeah. So I would, you know, and it was like a lot of that. So, um you know, I picked up brush inking really, really quickly. Um, I was a much better brush inker. I didn't really understand the nib. Um, and started, you know, getting a lot of work from these guys um, to the point where I didn't have to do anything else and just was doing that. And um, I kind of made a decision about halfway through my second year that I kept working on penciling. I kept working. I like, I wanted to learn to paint, you know, all of these different things. Mm -hmm. But I kind of knew at that point, I'm going to be an anchor. This is where I'm, this is like the thing that I'm most comfortable with. This is the thing that I seem to have picked up almost instantly and quickly here at the school. Cause I had never inked before. Right. Uh, you know, this is like, I, I, I felt like I got it really quickly. So, so you, so your submission work to the school was pencil work, page work, pages, or just general artwork? It was mostly general artwork. I, okay. I, I, I am literally the most clueless artist of all time. Never, I never took art classes. Um, I never, I, I, I like, I, I, I get mad at myself sometimes because I, I could have known so much more before I went to the school, but I just didn't, I didn't, um, didn't really, you know, I, I had how to draw comics the Marvel way, but basically yeah. I used that book to try and ape the frontest pieces to each chapter that John Buscema was doing. Like I wanted to draw like John Buscema, you know, and, sure. uh, but I, but I didn't, you know, I didn't bother like, paying attention to the inking stuff or how to lay out a page, <laughs> you know, it's just like right. able to draw a submariner in that pose, you know, um, you know, not really paying attention to all the extra parts of a page that you're supposed to draw. Um, so really quickly, I kind of figured out that um, where my strengths were and where my weaknesses were. Um, and it was all like with, with the Kubert school, like they constantly, sort of beat on the drum of not only going out and getting work, but also 
don't blow deadlines, always be available, you know, mm -hmm. uh, do your best work, but do your best work within the time period that you actually have, you know, yeah. uh, and that was sort of like the driver for me was I just wanted to be fast and I wanted to be competent and it, it got me work early on. So, Oh, for sure. And that's, a, I mean, that is, it's very strange. <clears throat> My mentor, when I was breaking into the business, it sort of disabused me pretty quickly of the art of the whole thing. He was like, he's like, it's not art, it's product. I, you know, I'm just creating a product that needs to be done. And I'm like, well, okay. You know, but like, I understood that because it was a matter of, you know, style wasn't specific to you. The style was applicable to the story being told. So, you know, because like, if you draw happy cartoon stuff, you maybe not be best suited for like the Hulk. Right. So you would have to sort of change your style to fit the, you know, the product better. And that was sort of how I, you know, that lens was the lens I was given. And I'm like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense to me. Um, but you <laughs> more so than style or coolness or whatever the thing you want to call it, getting your work done on time and competently that will keep you well employed for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. I know uh, no. by the time I, I got to a wild storm, um, I was fairly, I don't, I don't even know if competent is the right word. I wasn't quite there yet, but I, but I was, I was good enough to fake it. Um, mm -hmm. when I first got to wild storm, but again, I was a brush guy and when I came to Wildstorm, everybody was a was oh yeah anchor, and I I had to I had to like I couldn't fake it anymore. You know, I was in a we called it the pit, which was like this room in the middle uh, in the middle of the entire um, offices where we all had desks. All of us interns had desks, and um, you know you couldn't hide anymore. Like everybody right. saw way you were working and what you're doing, everybody's looking over everybody else's shoulder. So I had to pick up the nib really quick and I sucked, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know how that tool worked and really had to figure it out on the fly. But um, I was surrounded by crazy talent, you know, I mean, Tom McWeeney was there. Um, uh, he was terrific. Tom was actually a uh, my my mentor for quite a long time at Wildstorm, um, Scott Williams, you know uh, Alex Garner, um, just so many really good people. Sandra Hope, Rich Friend, um, and I would learn from all of them. You know, like little bits and pieces. I'd see what they were doing, and I'd pick it up and I'd practice. And I was so, I think, I th I, I think the the thing that people underestimate is being driven. Like mm -hmm. I, was, I was crazily driven. Um, I had already had my first kid, um, was in major, like, I got to figure this out or I am screwed. <laughs> you right, know, right. um, fear is, fear is a great motivator. Um, mm -hmm. so I was, uh, I was, I was in that place from like eight 30 in the morning till, you know, six, seven at night, every day, just cranking, cranking, cranking. Then I'd go home and I'd practice more. And I, I mean, and that was when I was still an intern and kind of staying in the apartment. 
but even after that, um, when I finally moved out and got my own place and everything, I was still sort of like that, just spending all my time. I was either there or I was working all night at home and, you know, just cranking. Yeah. yeah it's man. It's so, it's so, I didn't it totally like escape me, but that whole, I mean, you exited, you know, your schooling time right into that sweet spot when, you know, they were in, I guess, La Jolla at that point. They were in La Jolla, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, they were, like, firing on all cylinders. And, yeah. They were, it was, it was like, maybe, maybe sort of six to eight months after the, the real boom um, mm-hmm. when, you know, the crazy money was flying around and everything. We, we were sort of, sort of coming down on the backside of that. By yeah. the time I got there, um, and I didn't go there immediately. I mean, when I graduated um, the Kubert School, I actually worked at Heavy Metal for about a month as their art director. Oh, cool! Um, and uh, for those that uh, know me and laugh at my lack of knowledge when it comes to Photoshop or Illustrator, all those things, which is very true, I'm completely a luddite with that stuff. Um, back then being an art director meant that you had to know how to do paste ups and mechanicals. So everything was done by hand. Um, and that's what I did for a month at heavy metal. Um, but then I was offered the job at Wildstorm during that time. Cause I had kept, you know, I'd been sending out ink samples and all that kind of right. stuff. So it was a chance to come home for me. You know? It's, it's so funny. It makes me remember this. It was, this was like 1998, 99. I was in Atlanta. I was teaching at an advertising and design school and they the students were taking my drawing class basically to like you know pump me for information like figuring out how to do things and they would ask me okay well hey i need i want to do this thing for my ad piece or whatever it was oh i, I would sit there and i would try to start telling them how to do it by hand and they would all just glaze over like with fear going what do you because all they were looking at it was looking at it from the you know the photoshop or illustrator point of view um so yeah i i, I get that uh that disconnect it's a it is a very different world yeah, explaining to somebody Ruby Lith or you know Xeroxing photo, sure, cutting you know yeah. a, a Xerox, you know people are just like what? Uh, yeah, but uh, but you know it was a good learning experience for me, and um, uh, you know, and then coming to Wildstorm was an even greater learning experience for me. So, um, just I, I like I said, it a lot of it was just being driven. It was like there was no. Um, Failure was was something I just I I couldn't I wasn't ready you know there was just no yeah way to fail so I had to go. Well, your responsive yeah your responsibility level was, was far higher than most everyone around you I'm I'm assuming because everyone was young single and you know in comics so they there was no other thought. Yeah, no, I, I get it because that's where I was. So I totally, I totally get that. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough a little bit. I mean, like I look back and I wish, I wish, I hadn't. I wish, I wish I could have been a little less serious mm-hmm. and probably a little less. Um, I was certainly prickly um, because I was, I, I was so. Uh, either exhausted or like hyper focused. It was like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't deviate from either one of those things, you know? Right. 
Um, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, I had my fair share of good times with people, but a lot of my good time having, I had done all of that and sort of gotten it out of my system as a young teenager, mm-hmm. uh, you know, long before I ever got to the Kubert school, let alone, um, you know, actual work. So, well, that, that energy that, you know, that sort of that, you know, get it done energy or the, the prickly energy, I mean, that is both, both of those are sort of, you know, the same source. They're both the same frenetic kind of source. So it's easy to sort of like that switch can go back and forth between the two because one of them is protecting the other just so you you can accomplish the goal. Yeah. Yeah. so, okay, let's, I want to hop back to a very important subject and, you know, I'm sure anybody listening is going to roll their eyes, but surfing, cause this is important. Um, <laughs> did, did you, did you watch uh, any of the sunset stuff? Uh, yeah. The surfing? Yeah, I did too. It was, uh, I, I, I was really hoping that uh, Cola Pinto was going to pull it out. I was really like rooting for the kid. Um, yeah, I've, I'm a, I'm a, I'm sort of a, a John John fan. I'm always, oh, yeah. I'm always happy when Slater, uh, you know, decides to enter those things and <laughs> yeah, good, there, for know? sure. Yeah. No, no, I, I, my, my, my wife, uh, it's like, his name is Kelly Slater, not Kelly. You don't know him. I'm like, okay. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I actually was, I was in, I was in California a few years ago and I had to drive up to Fresno and that just so happened to kind of take me by where surf ranch is nice. so i went up there and banged on the doors i'm like let me in and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were they were they politely appointment there <laughs> yeah they politely said no and gave me a bunch of stickers and sent me away but uh that's cool yeah yeah no it, it was cool i i would i just like to see how they i just like to see the machine really that's uh that's oh, yeah. where I, yeah, I want to check it out but um yeah the, it, um sunset was great uh pipe was kind of boring it, the, 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 the swells never came for pipe. It just didn't set up this year, but, uh, I, I, yeah, sunset was great. And I, I'm glad to see how they're layering the women's and the men's yeah, you know, heats. It, it oh, works out well. Yeah. And that show that they have on, uh, Apple, um, yeah. TV has been awesome. It's been fun to watch, you know? Um, I think it's going to do what the drive to survive for formula one has done on Netflix for Formula One, like people now like know what it is and now they know who the people are and they go, I want to watch this. And I think that's the same thing with surfing because these are these individual sports where the people are very far away and, you know, and you only get to talk to them while they're, while they're soaking wet, you know, that's after the fact. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. And I, I was explaining last night why, the greatest surfer, the, the current greatest surfer in the world isn't winning every single event. It's because John Florence doesn't have that same need to kill his opponents that Kelly Slater does. Yeah, Slater was a unique animal. And I remember um, when when he first started competing and he was just annihilating everybody. And I was not a fan because... No, me neither. <laughs> I, the guy that I grew up with, the guy that was sort of my guy, the guy that I had posters all over my walls with was Tom Curran. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wanted to surf like Curran. I wanted to, I wanted to be smooth and kind of have that style that he had. And um, all of a sudden I see this kid who's like, you know, 
jacking up airs and, you know, doing like crazy stuff on a wave that I hadn't really seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then of course, you know, he had that rivalry with Rob Machado who like, I, I, I see Rob Machado like walking around, you know, like he he's here in San Diego, uh-huh. um, you know, and like the nicest, like mellowest guy, you know, and everything. So like, you know, I, I was always rooting for Machado too. Mm-hmm. Slater, Slater, like kind of, through through um you know <laughs> being constantly there sort of wore me down i became a yeah. fan um the the guy is he's undeniable you know oh um, yeah no uh, yeah you just uh i'm 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 just impressed by all these guys to be honest with you and they're it's such a different sport um i have so many friends that come to san diego and they're like dude take me out like give me a lesson or something and we'll go out (laughs) literally in the first half hour you know they're exhausted they don't understand like why it's so hard and (laughs) like yeah we should watch these guys you should watch these guys surf you know oh yeah well it's it's a completely different world um so I, so I not i'm not going to leave this as a as a complete tangent what do you think the what kind of parallels do you think there are between surfing and the career you chose? Um, you know, sort of, uh, I think, I think for me personally, the biggest thing is that sort of, you got to want it thing. Um, when I first started surfing, you know, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, um, I had a, I had a buddy who was, a little bit better than me when we started. Um, I, I caught up to him, um, you know, at a certain point, but it took, took years, you know, to get to that place. But he was such a, he was such an influence on me. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to surf like him. Uh, we was, he introduced me to music that to this day is still my favorite music. Um, like we, we really bonded and, you know, he, he was a good friend and, um, I think the key was like this constant, I got to be up at four 30 in the morning. I got to be in the water by 5. AM, mm. you know, I'm going to be there when the sun comes up and I'm going to catch this many waves and I'm going to ride half of them backside, which was the weak, the weak link in my mm-hmm. surf as I, I would not a good backside server. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, like I, I, it, it focused me, um, sort of in a way that, I think um, due to my, like I said, I had a, not a great home life, like between my home life and the fact that I wasn't like the best student either, um, all of that stuff, like I was definitely at a million things going on in my head all right. the time. I wasn't focused on any one thing. The surfing, it's like you have to be in the moment and you have to focus. And when I started inking, I was, I had to be in the moment and I had mm-hmm. to focus. like every line that I made had to be perfect, you know, or, yeah. you know, I had to really concentrate on what my hand was doing. What is the brush doing? What is the nib doing? Um, what is the artist trying to convey with this? You know, like, am I going to be an overwhelming anchor where everybody goes, <laughs> Oh, Mark ain't that, or am I going to be sort of a chameleon guy that tries to adapt his style to whoever I'm making? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think over the course of my career, I became the latter. Um, I was never like the guy that you would pick up a page and go, oh yeah, I know who inked that. Um, right. 
that was more the guy that you'd say, oh, that page looks good. And I wonder who inked it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think you nailed it. It's that you need to be completely focused on the thing at the time. And when you started talking with the brush, I was like, oh my God, yeah. I mean, the brush is the, is, it is that balance between, you know, the rail and the edge of the wave, like that face of the wave and that rail is the same with that brush because it's the pressure, it's the motion, it's, is there enough ink? You know, like all these elements come into play and you can't, you know, you, you really can't undo it. So you got to work through it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Having flow, you know, like really mm-hmm. um, being able to pull longer and longer lines or push on some, you know, figuring out all those things like took me, or you know, forever to get to a place where I felt good about yeah. what I was putting down. But, um, but the whole being in the moment was the most important. And I would yeah. say that's the closest parallel between the two things is just, yeah. I'm and the grit. everything is, you know, you're aware of everything around you. You're aware of everything that's happening underneath you, you know, in the water and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're just, you're focused, you know? Well, it's, it's a, you know, it is that in the situational awareness, which you just mentioned, like that is that sense, like, because, you know, only the rare occasions are you alone on the thing that you're doing. If it's skiing, surfing, whatever, there's usually other people around. So you can't just go wailing into people, you have to pay attention. And often, there may be a beverage on your drawing table, there may be a bottle of ink, like all these things are there and you can't just ignore them. You have to kind of be aware of that stuff. And so I think those are, they build in that resilience of grit that you were talking about, like, you know, seeing someone who's better than you and putting in, you know, the reps to get to what you think might be equal to or better than them. Like those things are, and in the art realm, that's the same stuff. Okay. Super crazy tangent. You just reminded me of something. And I always say to myself, don't talk so much, let them talk, but this one's really good. So around, I guess, 95, 96. So you, do you know, you know, Howard Porter, Porter? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So Howard and I were buddies and we met at a very small convention and we, we were fast friends because he's the funniest person in the world. And I'm not going to let that go. And <laughs> you know, we'd be on the phone all the time talking while we're working. And one day I was just complaining about inking, you know, like, cause I've always wanted to be better and better with the brush and how can you do it? And, you know, the ideal position for a brush is absolutely perpendicular to the paper. So you can create, you know, the flare perfectly, all this stuff. But of course that's not how our bodies are built. So what I drew up and being the son of an engineer was a bonus. My father built what I call I guess Howard might have called it the Incomatic. So he, and it's basically an XY plotter axis. So it was two parallel rods uh, running, you know, perp- uh, perpendicular to each other on uh, linear bearing rails. And then there's a pad in the center. So you could move this thing over artwork in any direction with okay. relative ease. So the idea was that you could then hold the brush right above that over your artwork and you could move this thing. So your hand would like a ball stick when you're painting, the idea is that this thing would do that. Um, 
it only made it into Mark One prototype version because the linear bearings weren't fine enough, and there was it, it didn't have that smooth quality. And I, you know, it was really just a you know a fun thing to do. But Howard loved the Incomatic; he thought that was the best thing ever. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Oh, he's he's the best. <laughs> Yeah, everybody who wants to get into comics, become a surfer or a skateboarder, something where you have to fall off the thing and get back on to keep to keep the you know the grit going. Yeah, I always uh you know, my my hair was down to my butt, you know, I was like <laughs> metalhead surfer guy who just sort of fell into comics and um you know, it certainly was uh uh I, I like the freedom of all of that, you know, like the, for me, it was always about never going to wear a suit. Um, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to be some corporate guy, you know, I'm always going to be who I am and, uh, not let any of that go. Um, and you know, in some ways that, that, that did hurt me, you know, over time, um, you know, definitely, uh, cost me opportunities. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I never had to, I would say that for the most part, I've never really had to compromise that stuff, despite the fact that I am technically, quote unquote, a company man now. Um, <laughs> I I, uh, I definitely have learned a lot along the way, but, you know, finding finding a way to balance those yeah. aspects of your personality is uh, has been pretty good. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's a... The, the, the thing that I think we also learn is that we can't just die on the hill of idealism. Like we have to like know what is the thing that we really like, is this still working? Is this still, am I benefiting from this or am I just doing this because I said I would do it? Like there's a point when you have to go, all right, let me, let me revise my plan here. Well, you have to also know like if, if I'm standing on that hill, is it the right hill? Um, is standing on this hill going to cost me in ways that I can't imagine or don't know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I certainly have seen it. I've done it myself where, you know, you, you, you're fighting a, a needless battle, you know, a, a battle mm-hmm. that doesn't really need to be fought because nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Right. Nobody yeah, cares totally. about that particular you know, smaller ideal was, um, and all you're doing is hurting yourself by screaming from the treetops and nobody's paying attention. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. So you said your buddy, um, turns you on to music. That's still your favorite music today. Is it anything to do with that, that black, uh, thing up rectangle on your shelf with the, uh, gentleman standing in front of the pentagram? <laughs> yeah, it could be that. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I was I was actually uh, a big, uh, you know, I, I loved Iron Maiden. I loved, sure. uh, you know, I was into Judas Priest. I was into metal and hard yeah. rock and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I already liked Rush. Like they were a band amongst mm-hmm. many that I enjoyed. Um, but I also wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't come from a place where, um, you know, my, my whole musical um you know library came from the radio um so i listened to like the local rock station in san diego and that's what i grew up on you know um we didn't have 
we didn't have a lot of money. So there wasn't like constant, you know, albums, you know, coming in or anything like that. So uh, this guy that taught me to surf, um, he, he had me over. Uh, I used to walk home with him and we'd walk to his place because his mom would feed me, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd come over and we'd go into his room and possibly some, you know, substances were ingested at the time. And he had like (laughs) Cheerios. Yeah. Cheerios. Yeah. Cause his mom fed me, Um, you know, he had headphones and he had a stereo and uh, I come over one day and he's like, I just found this. You got to hear this album. He's his older brother had given it to him. And it was an album called caress of steel, which is Russia's third album. And it's, it's like literally probably the least appreciated of Russia's albums because okay. um, it's, it's heavy. It's, it's like, it, it, you would not expect it coming from this band, like mm-hmm. especially the way people envision Rush today. Um, it's heavy. It's metallic in spots even. Um, and it's got like two huge, very long uh, epic stories on it. One side of the album is like is a is an entire song, um, it. But you know, sitting there with the headphones on and hearing it pan from ear to ear and all that kind yeah. of stuff, it it blew my mind. I could not believe how incredible it was, and uh, it just it set me off on a path that I I still haven't gotten off of yet. Much to yeah. the screen of my my wife and uh, <laughs> and other friends of mine, but yeah. It's, it's, oh man, it is so, it is, you know, blessed are the older siblings for they leave, they, for they open the doors, you know, sonically and, you know, and literally and filmically in so many ways to so many people. Um, yeah, I mean, mine and then my friend's older siblings, it was just always we're pilfering their stuff to see what was cool you know kiss like kiss albums in the 70s yeah you know that wasn't our discovery that was their discovery we we got it from them um yeah i mean when kiss was huge in the mid 70s i remember i didn't know anything about them outside of what they look like um Mm -hmm. i had a friend who lived across the street who had kiss toys and that's all I knew about them um, because they didn't play Kiss on the radio, but they right. played Stevie Wonder and they played Heart and they played, you know, Al Green and stuff like that. So my my musical, you know, education was all over the place. It was basically whatever they played on the radio. And, you know, I, that that's I still like a lot of that same stuff. Um, I, I mean, I th- I'd like to think I'm more open-minded as I've gotten older. I used to be really close-minded about music. Um, I've gotten better as I've gotten older, but I still like what I like, you know? Wait, hold the presses here. Are we saying that a Rush fan is a bit close-minded to other music? I'm just, just <laughs> throwing it out there. I, w- I would say more as a rock and metal fan. I am. Yeah. I have definitely been known to be close-minded in regards to pop music. I am yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but I, having two daughters will will slowly cure you of that. <laughs> sure, for sure. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I, I have a very strong belief that there's this point where when we hit about twelve years old, 
things lock into us and we just that's always going to make us happy whatever that was will always bring joy to us moving forward and it's not that we can't acquire more things that we dig uh there are plenty of bands that appeared after uh, the age of 12 for me but um you know it's it cheap trick is always going to be a favorite band you know the 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 police are always going to be a favorite band. Like these are just bands that will just kind of live in my spirit forever. I love them both. Love them both. Um, you know, but always consider myself lucky to have seen so many of these bands live too, you know, um, just going to concerts. I, I had an uncle who's like this hippie and uh, he took me to my, he took me to see heart when I was like eight or nine years old. That was my first concert. Wow. And, um, and I remember, I can't remember the concert all that well. What I remember the most is that he had to take all his, he had like, he, he was a liquor salesman. So he had all mm-hmm. he had like a bazillion business cards on him at all times. And he had to give me both stacks of his business cards to put over my ears because I was just, I couldn't believe how loud it was, you know? And uh, it was, uh, uh, that was my first concert experience, but you know, oh, that's amazing. That I was hooked. I love seeing live music. I still go to, I still go to like death metal shows, you know, like I, I'm, I'm committed, you know? Well, you also live in the, I mean, San Diego is a great venue town. Like everybody goes to San Diego to play. So you're going to see all the, all the great bands. <laughs> Yeah, they they come to LA a little more. Um, like a lot of the bigger acts will skip San Diego, but um, you know, th- there's definitely a good mix here. And then we we have a metal. There's an actual metal club like bar here, so a lot of like the um, not necessarily Metallica, obviously, but you know, like <laughs> the smaller smaller less known bands. You know, will tour and they'll they'll play at this place, and it's like a it's like a hall. I mean, it's really tiny and yeah, that's great. You know, go in there and get a beer and watch, watch great metal. So <laughs> that's so cool. Ah, yeah. Live music. It's, it's some of the best stuff. Um, so you're, you know, working at Wildstorm, I mean, you were kind of are in the epicenter of the cool of what was happening in comics in the, you know, in the nineties, because, you know, working for Marvel or DC, they, they were working, looking over their shoulder, you know, they were going like, what are those guys doing? Like that whole West coast thing that was happening in the nineties really changed comic books in so many ways. Oh yeah. Yeah, It was, it was a good time. I mean, um, you know, when I came to Wildstorm, I was, I was a little bit older than all the other interns. Um, Like I said, I'd already had my first kid was sort of like this focused, responsible guy but um you couldn't help but be infected by all the youth and the excitement about stuff around you and when i got there i mean you know my influences were john busama uh bernie wrightson um i still worship at bernie's altar um mike Mignola, you know like those were the people that i loved and i didn't really know anything about this jim lee guy or Marshall or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and so it was a good education for me, like kind of getting up to speed with all that stuff. Um, the other great thing about Wildstorm was that when I got there, you know, I was fresh out of heavy metal. I'd been at heavy metal for like a month, um, but I had that title on my resume that sure. I was 
an art director of heavy metal. So after about a month or two at Wildstorm, um, you know, I'd been an intern. I was working in the, we called it the pit and, you know, I was doing trading cards and box art and, uh, you know, pinups for different publications and stuff. Uh, Wildstorm had their own consumer products department and that department was run by Ted Adams. Um, mm-hmm. you know, started IDW and they needed an art director and he basically him and uh, a guy named Chris Aprisco, uh mm-hmm. came and sort of plucked me out of the pit and said, <laughs> You're the art director of consumer products. Um, so it was really that that was really good for me. Um, I'm you know I came over there, um, started hiring like literally the creme de la creme of artists back then. Um, that's where yep. I met. That's when I started and became friends with Andrew Robinson and Dave Johnson and Dan Panosian, uh, three mm-hmm. guys I still consider my very dear friends to this day. Um, you know, started working with the Gaijin guys and uh, Artemis Studios, you know, like all these guys that were in like the sort of South, um, you know, like yeah. I started hooking up with a lot of those guys and um, having conversations till like four o'clock in the morning about Mike Mignola with Doug Alexander still <laughs> a great mine, you know, and Doug's the cinematic director for Diablo now, you know, um, just getting all those connections with all these artists like that I'd never really had before because at mm-hmm. Wildstorm, you're inking Wildstorm people. We're all in the same office. We're all in the same building, um, you know, my bachelor party, for instance, you know, Travis Charest was at my bachelor party. Jeff Campbell was at my bachelor party. Jim Lee was at my bachelor party. You know, like we were all in the same room, so to speak. Yeah. But now through the consumer products department, all of a sudden I'm talking to people like Adam Hughes, you know, like I'm talking to Brian Stelfreeze and people like mm-hmm. that. You know, and um, really starting to get like a bigger picture of comics as a whole, rather than solely being, um, in that image, you know, kind of yeah. explosion only. Um, so it was, it was, it was a good way for me to sort of learn. Yeah. That's, you know, it's interesting because that's, a, I guess that is around. So I'm going to want to give you credit in this one though. Um, <laughs> but that like, that was a time when Dave started doing work for Wildcats like yeah. that like so that is that is around the time where i think jim at least i'm i'm hypothesizing that jim seemed to feel much more comfortable with what he had established and then now he could bring in rather than it being just a pure visual extension of what he was he he did it was now i want to bring in stuff that i think is really cool or other people in the in the studio think is really cool because you know, that's, you know, because Dave and I were buddies back, back then. And I remember Dave, I think, like he got, he got like work because somebody was looking for hire to hire Travis and they called up Dave and they were, because Dave had done wild, a Wildcats comic and they were like, oh, you did the, you did this. We want you to do something, and Dave's like, "Sure, no problem." But they were referring to Travis's comic, <laughs> and Dave was like, "I'm not." He's like, "I'm not going to tell them otherwise. I'm just going to do it." You know, so yeah. that was the uh, that was. But it was it was that period, and and that's when Travis was kind of really shifting into his own sort of, 
you know, style was coming out stronger. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's a really kind of pivotal moment for, you know, up, you know, and up a top cow, you know, Brandon was really kind of setting yeah. a new standard yeah. visually and, and, you know, and that, and I think that kind of all follows maybe, you know, cause Eric had hired Dave to do super Patriot and that was, that predates all that. And that was a huge hit. Yeah, I think I think Super Patriot might have been right before the Wildcats stuff, and the Super yeah. Patriot stuff was amazing. And then Dave, you know, comes and does Wildcats, and I think I'm pretty sure he was inked by Kevin Nolan on that stuff. So it was That's even right. more fantastic. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, Travis was doing his thing. It was amazing. I love Brando's, um, you know, Spawn Spawn Witchblade stuff was just oh yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, it was like wherever you turned um, with the image guys, there was always somebody doing something really great. Um, I know it was friendly, but we all, you know, it was a rivalry for sure. Mm. Uh, you know, there was rivalry between the inkers, um, you know, our group of inkers and the the guys at Top Cow. Um, right. the guys, uh, I should say guys and girls because there were so many. Um, sure. You know, of us that were just kind of looking at what everybody else was doing, you know, like kind of going, mm -hmm. oh, that Detron guy over at Top Cow. Wow, that stuff's amazing. And then you'd see what Tim Townsend was doing at Extreme. And, you know, oh, that's mm -hmm. amazing. And, um, you know, I be I became friends with Tim and Dan Panosian. Um, like that was probably my first month i had just joined wildstorm and both those guys came walking in um and it was hilarious you know i had long <laughs> hair i had long hair and um un unlike me i was like a skinny like super skinny like fit surfer guy right these two guys come in and tim looked like thor dan looked like yep. Thorne. um you know that they're both so muscled up and everything, but they were, <laughs> but they watched me ink and they both like were giving me all this encouragement, clapping me on the back, you know, the whole nine yards. And it was just like, oh, I love these guys, you know, yeah. they, were, they were such, um, they were so warm, really great. Yeah. Warm and cheerleadery. And, um, you know, that, so there was a lot of that, um, you know, so many people from other studios would kind of come like Jim would have, um, you know, like holiday parties um, and other people from other studios would come down from LA or wherever and um, join us. And it was, it was good times. Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess they were heady times to say the least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you like, how do you frame it? Like you're in the middle of this kind of stuff happening. You're inking, you're, you know, your, your, your pain bills, you're kind of doing the thing that you, I guess, identified as the, you know, next to surfing. This is the thing that gives you that satisfaction. Did you have, you know, cause now you moved, I guess you moved over with Chris and, um, Ted. did you have like, yeah. And Ted, did you have like a vision at that point? Like were you going, okay, here's where I am. This is where I'm going to continue with. Or did you think bigger or did you want to get back to monthlies? I mean, how did you like, it, it was weird. Um, uh, when I joined the consumer products group, 
um, I was the art director and I was also in charge of the new intern group that I actually with Ted and Chris interviewed and brought in. So it was like Carlos Deanda and Ali Garza mm. and Lee Bermejo and uh, Ryan Odegawa. And actually Ryan was before that. Ryan was part of my my group of interns. Um, but we had like this second wave of interns that kind of came in and um, it was it was a little different you know, I was barely, I was only like a couple of years older than these guys, um, but I was in charge of them and they all wanted to party and kind of, you know, enjoy the whole thing. Um, you know, and I was like much more like, well, we got work to do. We got to, you know, we got to get this, we have deadlines and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and what, what ended up happening was um, I was sort of, I was art directing trading card sets. Um, I was editing uh, our trade, um, we had, we had started sort of started a trade program. So we were starting to collect like Travis's right. issues, you know, into, into a book and all that kind of stuff. And I was doing that stuff. Um, and then I was also doing like some, even a little bit of writing, like I was writing some of the card backs and things like that. So I was getting like this good education and all this stuff. Um, everything from making t-shirts and frisbees to making trading cards, all these different things. Um, so it was a good learning experience for me, but what was great, really great about it was that I still was inking as well. And what was great about that being in that position was that all of a sudden I was working on projects where the editor didn't need six pages tomorrow. Uh-huh. It was all of a sudden given time. Um, the very first project I remember really um, um, vividly is the Spawn uh, movie adaptation, which mm-hmm. we did at Wildstorm. And I was inking Carlos Deanda on that. And it was the first time that I ever felt like I kind of had time and had a better understanding of what I needed to do as an anchor. Um, and Carlos, you know, he, he always kind of poo-poos this now, but he was a great, uh, help for that. Cause he would come in, he'd, he'd stand over my shoulder while I was inking pages, Oh wow! you know, don't do that, do this, you know? And, and you know, like it was, it was, it was good for me. Um, so I really like kind of cut my teeth inking Carlos. Um, then we moved on to Resident Evil. We did uh, like Resident Evil comic magazine. And then I ended up inking him and Lee Bermejo and Ryan Odegawa. And all three of them are very, very different, have very, very different styles. Um, so it was a really good chance for me to sort of get better and really mm-hmm. uh, with what I could do. Um and along the way, you know, during that time period too, we were just doing tons of trading cards. So I would be inking like half of those, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just really get, uh, it, it made me a much better anchor. So when, when sort of things started to go south, uh, started to go south at Wildstorm and Jim had to sell to DC, um, you know, DC came in and I remember, you know, like Paul Levitz, uh, like he called each one of us into an office and kind of gave us the news of, you know, what was happening either with our position or, you know, whether we were going to be retained or, you know, whatever. And when I came in, you know, he's like, 
obviously we're shutting down the consumer products group because DC has, right. you know, there's no reason for us to have another one. Um, he's all, but you know, we like your inks and, you know, we think you're a good inker and we'll, we'll still give you work. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I figured, okay, well, I'll just go to being a full-time inker. And at this point I started to really feel strongly about that too. Like I was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm really figuring this out and I think I'm a good inker and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, that turned out to not completely be true. Um, basically DC took over a lot of the books that I was working on got canceled or shut down. Um, so all of a sudden I went from making a, a fairly solid income, you know, for my family to making yeah. like nothing and it. And it was pretty quick. I mean, it happened in like a month and a half or so, you know, like it was just like, what is happening around me? Oh. Um, but thankfully, uh, you know, by that point, uh, Ted and Chris had started IDW. Um, you know, I, those guys were my best friends at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. especially, especially Chris and I were like drinking buddies and just developed a really great friendship. He's, he's a big music head too. And he exposed me to music that I'd never listened to before. And it was like, we had like a really good relationship in that way. You know, he was constantly turning me on to new stuff and um, they were developing games um, for upper deck, the trading card company. Yeah. Right. Right. And this is right at the very inception of upper decks entertainment group. Um, and Upper Deck was like trying to figure out like how do we actually have an entertainment group. So Ted recommended to them that they hire me. Um, yeah, we got to hire this guy Mark Irwin because he's sort of like a jack of all trades and all the things that you guys need he can help you with, um, whether uh-huh. art direction or project management or um, even ideation for new games and all that kind of stuff. Mark Mark knows what he's doing. Like you guys need a guy like him in here. So I got hired at Upper Deck and uh, I was there for 10 years, you know, Um, Wow. and sort of I did everything, you know, like whether it was creating a um, a consumer gaming program, um, you know, so that when you went to like your local Toys R Us, they had organized play for Yu-Gi-Oh or, you know, Mm -hmm. some I did that. I did translation of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I'd go over to Japan and work with the Japanese guys to translate their game into English and, um, and then art direction, you know, the versus system game, you know, that all that I did all that art direction and, um, you know, make toys. Um, I have toys here in this office that I was lucky enough to art direct, you know, um, it was a good, it was really, really good education for me just learning how to do a lot of different things. One thing that I, that I've picking up just talking through this is that things that happened, you know, getting the red pencil marks on the copies back of like, Hey, here are all your mistakes or having, you know, the artist stand over your shoulder and tell you how, how to ink it. Like, these are things that like with a lot of people would send them packing. They'd be like, fuck this. Fuck you. I'm out of here. And that, that there's a specific, you know, ability you know, to not personalize it in the moment, you can look back at it late and go like, what the hell, you know, but at the time you don't personalize it and you can kind of work your way through it. But what do you think for, you know, you were, you were at this place at 10 years doing what 
if five years before you'd have been like, there's no, I wouldn't have no idea what I was doing if someone said do this job. So, I mean, that's a significant kind of like adventure for you to kind of say, okay, I'm going to do this. And what do you attribute to your capability of doing that? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, I attributed a number of factors to it. Um, one, I'm, you know, incredibly lucky and thankful that I had. you going to say handsome. <laughs> no, no. Incredibly lucky and thankful that I had a lot of really good mentors, um, you know, like people that were willing to take the time to show me mm-hmm. things I didn't know how to do. Um, the other thing, too, was that um, the fact that I had broken in sort of as an artist in 95, um, that and all of the stuff that I worked on and that was published and that had my name on it, that went a long way toward um, legitimizing me as an art director. So, Mm. you know, when I, when I called uh, Steve Rude, um, you know, Steve Rude, I'd love you to do some trading cards for me. And, you know, Steve's, a uh, 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 different guy, you know, like he's, he's a he's, challenging per- personality. He's, he's, well, not, he's, a, he's super sweet and really nice. Yep. He's just, you have to know how to talk to him. And, yep. um, and I remember the first time I called him and asked him to do trading cards, he was like, well, Mark, I'd really like you to lay out those three cards for me and just, you know, fax that to me uh, in a day or two. And then I'll get back to you with what I think if I'm going to do this. And I, mm. I'm like, okay. And then I hang up and I'm like, why am I doing a layout for freaking Steve Rude, who's one of the greatest artists of all time? Like, well, who, sure. who am I to be doing this? And man, I, I did like stick figure layouts because I was like, I am in no way going to be telling Steve Rude how to do these cards. <laughs> and, and he, to his credit, he didn't make me feel like an idiot, you know, like he took those layouts and he worked from the layouts and he was totally fine with it. And he did great work and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he, he ended up being like just such a lovely human being to work with, but, you know, like you get thrust into those situations and um, you have to rely on sort of what, you know, and I knew what I didn't know. And I knew what I was comfortable talking about. And I could, I always felt like I could talk to other artists. I may Mm -hmm. not, I may not be able to, I'm not, I may not be capable of doing what they can do. That's what makes them them and makes them great. But I certainly could talk the talk, you know, I could say, you know, like, Hey, uh, you know, I got your, I got your rough back. I think if we switch the lighting to, you know, this direction, um, you know, I'd love to see that because that'll bring more focus to the character's face. This is going to be on a tiny little trading card and this is why we want it to look like this. And they, they could get that. And it wasn't like I was some jackass who doesn't know anything about art telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. That's what you, you don't, and you try to avoid those situations, right? Um, I would get prickly and angry at upper deck when I'd be in meetings with guys that were game designers that didn't know anything about the art and they'd be bitching and moaning about the artists that I hired for whatever. Mm. And I'd be like, this is why I hired this artist 
This artist is willing to do all those boring cards that nobody else cares about. But when I call Dave Johnson or Joe Jusco or Steve Rude, they always want Captain America or they always want Spider-Man. We only, you only yeah. gave me like three Spider-Man cards in this entire 300 card set. All the rest of the cards are thugs and backgrounds. Well, that's why I had to hire this artist because this artist yeah. is willing to do all of that. And they do a really good job with it. So it's not like the quality of the work overall for the card set goes down. This guy's still good. He's just not your cup of tea because he's not the name that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would get, I'd get all enraged in those meetings, you know, because, it, it, you know, it's like, who are, who are you to tell me who I should hire, you know? Uh, right. But, you know, you, you learn over time to like, I have certainly mellowed. I am not that guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 uh, I, I can, I can laugh about it now, but it was a good learning experience. You know, um, it was a really good learning experience, understanding how, other people that are not artists think and understanding like sort of what the wants and needs are of the project and just trying to find ways to, as things go, try to keep everybody at least reasonably happy. You're not always going to make everybody happy, but you got to you know, do your best to kind of keep everybody in this cohesive sort of happiness till you get to the end because you're all trying for the same thing. You want the project to be successful and you all want to make money doing it. And you want to be happy with that result. Yeah, totally. The two things I'm thinking about is working on the cards kind of goes back to that surfing thing about the reps. Like doing one comic book a month is a ton of work. Hmm. But the volume of cards that you have to do in a month is much higher. And you're not doing it with one person. You're doing it with a variety of people. So you're interpersonality connections with all these people like dealing with Joe Jusco and dealing with Steve Rude, et cetera, and so forth. You're getting a lot of skill sets because not all of them react exactly the same way when you pick up the phone. Right. So <laughs> I, and the, uh, the other thing is that we spent a lot of time thinking about like, okay, what's the thing that I want to do, but the real magic in being able to do the things that we want to do is, is the, capability of communicating clearly to the people who are the ones who are going to say yes and no because you may have the greatest idea but if you can't put it down on paper and say hey here's what we want to do they're going to go no we're going to move on to the thing that we can understand and the more you can make it clear and understandable to the people who can say yes or no who don't have all this all, all the sort of understanding the clearer that thing is going to end up being to the people who are the fans and consumers of that, of that product. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I, so I think, you know, being able to do these cards at a high, high volume and in these timelines, I think you probably build up a lot of skill sets way quicker. Yeah. I mean, that certainly was a big part of it. Um, a lot of the cards I'd end up inking because whoever I was talking to would say, Hey, why don't you ink a few? Um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. how I ended up inking Mike Wyringo was because Mike just, he was like, sure. Why don't you ink it? And I was like, really? Oh, okay. You know, Hey, you got to use your brush. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was super intimidating. And then, uh, I ended up doing, a. 
IDW cover over him, that was actually a lot more fun. And I've, I felt like I kind of hit, finally figured out like what he was looking for. You know, the first couple of trading cards, I did not feel that way. Um, but uh, yeah, like, you know, you, yeah, you pick up all these skill sets along the way. Um, I was also inking uh, at night. I would leave, you know, I'd go home at from Upper Deck and I'd ink at night. I was inking, you know, books for DC and Marvel at that time and, mm-hmm. um, and Dark Horse and all those guys are different too, you know. And so you're just figuring stuff out along the way. And um, when Upper Deck sort of imploded in 2010 and laid off like two thirds of the company, um, I was already in good shape to like not allow it to affect me too much. You know, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking, I think two or three books full time, um, you know, monthlies for Marvel yeah. and DC and Dark Horse. And then it allowed me to take all that skill set that I'd picked up over those previous 15 years and start my own uh, consumer products, sort of uh, not, not really consumer products, but more like creative services uh, company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started doing video game, uh, like 2D video game design and all sorts of like weird, like one-off projects and stuff like that. Had a couple of retainer clients, all that sort of thing. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And and then in 2016, um, I sort of got headhunted off of uh, LinkedIn and um, was asked to join a company in Northern California, a book publishing company um, that did hmm. big beautiful coffee table books and they wanted to start their own comics division. Um, and they asked me to run it. So I moved up to Northern California and did that, you know, for four years. And that was a great experience because I'd never done a coffee table book before, you know, and got a chance to do some of those too. So yeah, you just, uh, I think, I think the key is like, it's really easy to look at your own resume or your own education and say, I only know how to do these four things. Mm-hmm. I think it. you have to be brave, though, and be able to say, I know that that doesn't completely al- align exactly with what this piece of paper says I know. Right. I I could figure that out. I bet you I I could handle that. I don't think that would be that big of a deal to handle. Um, And then you jump into it and maybe it is a big deal to handle. Maybe it is hard, but, but you, you plug away and um, you know, you find ways to, to make it work for you. And um, you know, that's sort of, I I feel like that's the story of my career in a nutshell. No, that's, that's the thing that, I mean, you know, the, the rule is always say yes, you know, when you're asked and you go, yes, of course I can do that. And then you have to figure it out how to do it. In the nineties, it was phone calls. I mean, you would just call everybody under the sun and say, do you know how to do this? They go, no, but I think so-and-so does. And you get their number and then you call that person. And now it's the internet, but that was the whole, that was everything. We only could figure it out through that, that approach. And, when I was teaching at that school, by the way, that school that I was teaching at, I got that job because Dave Johnson was teaching at that school. He had separated from his wife and he didn't want to teach anywhere at that school anymore. So he's like, would you sub for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I ended up taking his class over. 
but they they then asked me to take over start teaching ad classes and i'm like i don't know i listen i draw people in soup suits and fighting each other i have no idea about ads but i just you know teaching those classes where the kids were asking me how to do stuff i realized in that i had a process i didn't know i had a process but my process was there was a problem put in front of me how do i solve this problem and it was the same sort of mental geometry that i would go through to get to a solution and that allowed me to say yes to so many more things moving forward because my resume was draw comics right <laughs> but that was it like there was nothing else and being able to take that apart and say oh wait a minute i can i can i can solve another problem rather than just how to tell a story visually on paper with a pencil right yeah when i was I was doing paste ups and mechanicals and literally that's a class that you take in the second year at the Kubert school. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had forgotten everything I learned in that class. It was the most boring, <laughs> sure. ever, you know, like I, I hate, I, I didn't enjoy that at all, but, um, but all of a sudden I'm at heavy metal and I have to do it. Like, like I'm not going to make, the, they're going to fire me in like two days when they figure out, I don't know how to do this. So I was like literally in the Xerox room and this little, these little tiny offices on the phone with one of my teachers from the Kubert school, having him like literally talk me through, walking me through how to do exactly what I needed to do. Yeah. And, you know, thank God he was willing to pick up the phone, but I mean, I, sure. I was you know, panic stricken. I, I was on the phone with him every day for like the first week I was there. Just like, I don't know how to do this. You know, I, mm. what do I do here. And he would kind of walk me through it. And um, yeah. And, and that was at a time too, like it's, it's hard for people to imagine this, but there was a time before computers. And um, the, right when I came to heavy metal, one of the things that they tasked me with was installing computers into the office. <laughs> nice. I was like, I can do that, you know? And in my head, I'm like, I don't know how to do it. And so, um, you know, I, I had one of my tasks was making this uh, book and I'm setting up the computers and I'd spend a couple hours in the office, like uh, in the Xerox office, like taking care of the photos for this book. Then going back into the, uh, into my office to set up Quark which I didn't know how to yeah. do. And I'm on the phone, like, you know, uh, customer support for Quark yeah. and walk through that. And then going back and like messing with these photos and shooting the photos and then having to install it all into Quark and then having to put out a zip disk. Mm-hmm. Then having to actually leave the offices and run like eight blocks to the place that um, processed zip disks. Right. And people don't like understand, but one zip disk was one page of this book. Yeah. And the book ended, you know, it was like a couple hundred pages, you know, and you're, <laughs> I mean, I look back now and I'm like, I can't believe I did that. You know, like yeah. party is just like, was, was, were things really that hard, but they were, you know? And, right. But they also were that they were also, you were like in a science fiction story working with computers and zip drives because two years before that you were just inking something or drawing something in a class. Right. So like right. It, it's, 
you know, I mean, like, I think we have a hard time remembering, like, we're always living in the apex of, of civilization. So, you know, like that moment, you were like, you were working for NASA, baby. Like it was, it was yeah. cutting edge. Um, wow. Yeah. And then 20 years later, you're overseeing layouts and paste-ups for, you know, coffee table books. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, in, uh, when I joined Insight, uh, that was in its own way, another crash course, um, mm-hmm. you know, because they had a design group and, you know, they had a marketing team and a sales team and all that. But all three of those divisions of the company were completely unfamiliar with what comics were and how to sure. make them. Um, so, you know, sitting with the art director of Insight, who is a brilliant art director. I mean, she makes beautiful books, but she didn't really understand what I thought, you know, uh, comics need to be or whatever. And we, we did graphic novels. We didn't do floppies. So I would sit there and like, I want the spine to look like this and it needs to be this size. And this is what we're going for. And, you know, we're, we're going to make all the books look like this. So when you line them up on a shelf, you can tell that that's our, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, so going from there and then also curating all the content, um, acquiring the content, working with uh, those creators editorially, um, while also trying to teach the marketing team, like, here's how you market a comic book, which is right. very different than book marketing, um, you know, yep. teaching the sales group. Yes, there's this company called Diamond and you really need to talk to them, you know, like things like that. Um, and it was a good crash course for me on how to be. Um, I mean, thank God I had a assistant editor who she was brilliant and she really helped me stay organized because I was sort of like this macro thinker that felt like I had to do all of these different things. Yeah. And she was the one that was like, let's stay on task today. We have to get these six things done. And I'd be like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about those six things uh, <laughs> back on that, you know? And, um, but it was a good it was a good crash course for me and how to how to build an imprint, how to understand like the the different um, moving parts, how to understand the book trade, which is very different than the comics trade, which I was so used to, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that allowed me to move on, you know, in my next two jobs, really, because I went from there to IDW. I was only mm-hmm. at IDW briefly, but I had like a totally different kind of job there. Um, and I learned a lot there in the brief time I was there and took all of that knowledge and that got me here, you know, like where I am now. And this is the best job I've ever had. And I'm really, really happy. And I'm doing all the things I've always dreamed about doing. Um, but even parts of that are still, I'm still learning, you know, I mean, I'm 53 years old and I'm like every day is like a new cool thing to learn and be excited about and do, you know? It's kind of cool that like we can be joyfully frustrated and not knowing something and, you know, and engage with it to learn it and to get some sort of agency over it or whatever the term you want to use at this age, you know, rather than just, I... I, it would be tough to be just like pulling a lever and pushing a button and pulling a lever and pushing a button. I think having a bit more variety is good. So how did Mad Cave come into your life? Well, I was at IDW 
and IDW was going through a lot of changes. Um, you know, I had been hired by a couple of people, one of whom was gone two weeks after I got there. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the other one who was gone like five months after I got there, um, I was brought in ostensibly to do a certain thing um, that I had shown I was pretty good at. Um, which was making music-related graphic novels. Um, mm-hmm. They wanted to start a division there doing that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd done a couple that had won Eisner's, you know. Um, so, like, they they were like, we need this guy. And they, they were friends of mine, too. So they, like, kept after me and finally got me to join IDW. And then um, all of a sudden they were both gone. And my job sort of changed and I sort of became a little bit of a number of things. But one of the things was sort of Axeman uh, for like, they had me get rid of a whole division. Um, oh, wow. Um, over time, that um, was was making money, but it was also sort of um, struggling in different ways. And it was something that they didn't want to really deal with. Um, so going through that process. And then as soon as I had done that and I did it actually in a way that was quite profitable to IDW rather than the way they initially wanted me to, which would have lost the company quite a bit of money. Um, they let me go. Like I, I, and I'm usually very, I've been around for a long time. So I'm, 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 I can feel it when it feels like things are going in that direction. I was totally, caught unawares. I did not expect it. I was like, I wow. just, I had just made the company a bunch of money. You know, I figured I was in good shape. So when it happened, I was like, Whoa, what am I going to do? And, um, you know, my wife to her credit, you know, we had just bought a house. We had just moved back to San Diego. Um, you know, we were super excited to be here and all this stuff. And all of a sudden I'm jobless. And I was like, uh, <laughs> so I came out, you know, it was like nine, nine o'clock, nine thirty in the morning. And I said, Hey, I just got laid off. I, you know, and I, I was sort of at a loss. I didn't know what to do. And she goes, go surf. She goes, go surf. When you come back, you'll nice. know what, you'll know what to do. And I was like, okay. So I went and surfed for like three or four hours, came back totally better frame of mind and um, made, you know, sent some emails out, uh, made a couple calls, and um, a friend of mine who I'd worked with at Insight, um, she suggested I reach out to Mad Cave, and uh, she said, you know, I think they're 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 looking to grow, and it might be a good opportunity for you. I had never heard of them. I I, I didn't know who they were or what they were. <laughs> right. I was like, okay, you know, it won't hurt. So I sent it off and. The owner of the company called me and we ended up having like a great long discussion. Um, I I was still a bit hesitant because like I said, I didn't know who they were. Um, comic companies, for better or for worse, there's a lot of fly-by-night companies in our industry. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I, I knew at that point in my life, the, the, the one knowledge thing that I actually picked up over all that time in my career was that I didn't want to be, I wanted to be in a place where if I was, if I was dealing with creators, I wanted to be 100% um, n- knowing that we weren't going to screw them over that. Mm-hmm 
our contracts were transparent and that they were going to like the terms of the contract, that we weren't trying to take advantage of them, that we were supporting them and that we were wanting our best, you know, foot forward with creators and all that kind of stuff. I knew that. That was like the one thing I knew. And um, the owner of the company was a creator himself and he felt the same way. And, um, you know, they offered me the job like, I think two days after he and I talked. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was working like a week and a half later. So. Damn. Damn. Yeah. That's really, amazing. It it worked out. I'm very, very thankful for it. And uh, honestly, it it's gotten better. Like every, every month has been better than the last since I've gotten here. So. I, I think what you, <clears throat> what you said, excuse me, um, about the, um, that transparency, I feel so deeply that because there are so many players in the business, that the greatest value anyone can offer, if they're not, you know, in, in to break into this business, is to be transparent, is to be clear and honest with the people who are doing the hard labor for for these projects, because that's that's all everyone wants. They just want to know that this isn't some sort of get rich quick scheme like, hey, we're going to strike it big. And, you know, because I don't know, is that is that happening? Is it going to happen? We don't know. Like, there's no way to predict that. What you can do is do the best work possible. And the best work usually gets the attention. No, I'd, I'd been at a previous company that did the whole um, we pay everybody in 15 minutes uh, or 15 days. Then it, yeah. you know, then it became, oh, we pay everybody in 30 days. Then it became, oh, we pay everybody in 90 days. Then it became, oh, we pay everybody in 108, you know. And right. I was working there and I was the art director. So guess who was getting every, phone calls? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't our accounts payable department. It was me. And yeah. um, you know, and I I I was I knew very like from the very beginning, I was like, I'm never going to avoid a call. I'm not going to, you know, I won't avoid people. I'm going to answer people, you know, as directly as I can. Um, I'm a pretty blunt guy and I'm a pretty, um, which sees what you get. Like I, I, I don't have the brain power or the, uh, <laughs> or the energy to, you know, try and, um, bullshit people. And, yeah. um, so yeah, I would I would be the guy that had to deal with all those upset freelancers and all that kind of stuff, and it it just it drained me, you know. It was yeah. horrible, and that went on for a good period of time. I mean, that was like three or four years of my time yeah. there, and I was just like, you know, never again am I going to do that. It just feels terrible. And then I've been I've been with companies since then that didn't do that necessarily but would do things like not send out royalty reports and not tell people how many, how many copies the book sold and then try onto the rights of a book that they didn't even bother trying to ever get out into press and, you know, things like that. And you just, you start seeing like all the different ways that these bigger companies have figured out how to take advantage of the people that are doing the thing that makes you go, you know, like that, that company doesn't go if you don't put out that product and you're taking advantage of the people that make the product. So like, it just blows my yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very, 
cognizant of things like that. And I, 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 I mean, you, you had a guest on uh, a very, very good friend of mine um, who he and I together went through an experience of, it was both the greatest experience and the worst experience all in one. Um, Yeah. And, you know, same thing. I mean, we can commiserate about it a little bit today, but it still hurts because we poured our heart and soul into something and more so him than I, but he was really heavily taken advantage of. And, you know, it's just, you hate seeing that. That that kind of stuff should never happen. So that, that's a big, that was a big like um, selling point for Mad Cave with me was sort of getting some internal guarantees that we don't, we don't, and we never will operate. So that's great. That's really good. So, how do you get your creative juice flowing? Um, in a variety of ways. Um, I'm I'm really thankful for Mad Cave in that um, they've sort of put me in a position where I'm both um, running at uh, well most of the aspects of the business, um, but also getting opportunities to be creative. Um, you know, I still I still get to you know suggest people for covers. I still cool. uh, uh, I have a I have a story that I wrote that I never quite finished. Uh, it was something I worked on kind of on and off for years and just never got to a point of finishing it. And I gave it to Mad Cave and it, now it's being like taken and built into the thing that I envisioned by a different writer, but it's really great because I'm getting oh, wow. to see it and everything. And it's like, Oh yeah, that was my idea. And he took that and ran with it. And it's, it's even cooler than I thought it could be, you know? Um, so yeah, I get I get those things. Um, I've done a couple books. Uh, I've sort of moved more into writing. So like I wrote a Motorhead graphic novel. Um, uh, I've I've done like little stories for people here and there. I got to do a Creeper story for DC. Like oh, a sweet, that. that was super fun for me. You know, I love that character, um, and yeah. I got to work with an amazing artist in Kyle Hotz. Um, so yeah, like. I, I definitely have found opportunities. Maybe, maybe it's not quite the same as the heavy duty roller coaster I was on for so long. Yeah. Um, but in many ways, it's also like this completely new challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. we bought a company last year and I, I did that, you know, like I was the guy that negotiated <laughs> that deal and did all those things. So that's like a whole different way of thinking. And, yep. um, understanding and panicking because it's not and you know like all that kind of stuff so um you know it's been it's been tremendous and uh wow couldn't be happier so yeah i i I mean it is amazing the two things and if you can just keep challenging yourself intellectually and professionally these are this is the kind of stuff that makes you get up you know at four in the morning and go and go straight to the straight to the waves or whatever the thing it is you if you if you're getting up early and you're charging towards that thing that's the right thing it's you know if anybody like teases something out of this it is you know search for that thing that you just you have to get to the end of you've got to get that thing solved because it's not that it's over it's just that 
you know that there's more to come. There's more adventure. There's more whatever that is. And, you know, taking on the challenge of, of writing, that's huge. Like, that's huge. Because how alien is that in the terms of what you considered your skill sets to be, you know? Big time. Big time. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole different muscle and yeah. it's one that is certainly underdeveloped in my, uh, <laughs> in my life, but, uh, but you got time, a little you, bit more, you know, so, yeah, you've got plenty of time to keep developing that. And it's, you know, you're going to find that that's going to be a whole new, you know, palette of tools, you know, it's going to be a bigger brush. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you got to know what you don't know. Um, you have to network with people and, and, and learn from other people. Um, mm -hmm. and you just can't, I don't want to say, don't be afraid, but be, be persistent and be open and be curious and, you know, do all that stuff, you know, cause yeah. it's the only way, uh, we, we grow and, and change as people, you know, totally. Well, I got to track down that motorhead graphic novel. I got to see what that's all about. Um, yeah. anything you want to just kind of get out there that for people to like, Hey, you guys are mad caves making this thing and you got to check it out. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a quick uh, plug for, um, Mark London, uh, who is our owner. Um, he's also a writer, um, which is why he started mad cave and, uh, his book hunt kill repeat, um, is started to hit the shelves and it is, super fun and crazy it's uh you know kill bill meets the greek gods so um very very fun story oh, but cool. uh, yeah i'll throw out a plug for that and uh other than that yeah just keep your eye on mad cave we're doing some incredible stuff uh we have some massive announcements coming that i i can only allude to i can't actually yes. announce. um but yeah we're uh we're trying to do fun stuff and uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be at a company that supports fun, big ideas. So, yeah, I love the big story. So that's a, that, that's important to me. Um, yeah. I'll have all the links in the description. So anybody wants to scroll down below, they'll be able to get to Matt cave. They'll be able to follow you. If you, <laughs> if they're so up for it, if you are interested in what's happening in the world of rush fanning, um, yeah, <laughs> that's the best place to go. Um, yeah, Mark, man, I, I knew that when we first bumped into each other uh, at Charlotte, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be someone I want to talk with. Uh, wow. I appreciate your time. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, no, this, is, this has been great. And uh, it's kind of cool, man. You were, you were there. So many things happening, you know, in this industry. So it's, you, you've got a book in you about the things that you've done. Just say maybe. I mean, I'm I'm definitely a footnote, but uh, but I always appreciate that uh, I was sort of there, you know, when it was all going on. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, well, um, we'll talk soon. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much, right. Alex.